Hello and welcome to the Dekai Podcast, Digital Era Entertainment's weekly anime podcast. I am your host, Joel, and I have three wonderful guests with me today. And boy, oh boy, we have a bit of an offbeat episode prepared. But before we get to that first, the guests we have coming back from last week, Lorraine. Hello. We also have from the radio dramas, Hayes. The light is burning me. The light is coming from within. I'm missing that reference, but anyways, we also have Neo Ivan of Neo Ivan Gaming, our usual uh, sound engineer, joining us actually on the show today. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for having me. Yes. So, this is episode number 74. We have, like I said, a bit of an offbeat one, because I was talking with Hayes yesterday, because as per usual, we always get the topics for these podcasts relatively last minute, and he had the idea of doing a bit of a game with different series and uh, the way that I've been describing it is sort of anime what if that we currently have the Marvel what if series going on and the concept at play here is that we're going to take a couple of well-known series and Hayes has actually written a randomizer script that will tell us who the new protagonist of the series is And we're going to say, all right, so same universe, same basic happenings are occurring in this universe, but we're we're now following the story of person. So how does this change the series? What does this mean in terms of narrative? Uh, What does this mean in terms of themes? So a bit of comparing and contrasting and a little bit of fanfic writing along the way as well. So, uh, oh yes, also as for the... Uh, anime updates. I haven't actually watched any anime this week because I've been working on the script for the radio drama presentation of Adam's Family, which will be next week, uh, September 25th. Have any of you been watching anything that you want to bring up? Nope. Mm, not really. Uh, I finished the last episode of Villainous, so I can't say much other than it finished. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, don't no spoilers because I definitely yeah. plan to get to that this weekend <laughs> once I finish that script. Yep. Um, friend of uh, D Twitch, Mimu Rith has recommended uh, Macross Frontier, so I've been. Of course, that. she does. She always recommends Macross Frontier. She has Macross Frontier tattoos. Yep, that's very good, and I'm enjoying it so far. Good. Good. Yes. Well then, we have a couple of shows, like I said, for this little anime what if. I figure let's start with, uh, what do you think, Hayes, Naruto? Naruto seems like a good place to start. Let's start at the very B-Ninja. How many, out of curiosity, characters did you put in this randomizer script for Naruto? Uh, Let's see, 3, 6, 9, 12, 16. Okay, that's a good number here. So, who is our new protagonist in Naruto? What is the new title of our series? The new protagonist is... Madara. All right, so this is no longer Naruto. This is now Madara. Remind me and anyone else who might not be super familiar with Naruto who Madara is. Madara is one of the big bads of the series. Um, he is... 
Let's see. In service to the ancient god woman who created the world and Chakra, who is also an alien. Um, where is that Obito? Yeah, it's Obito. So I'm looking up. Uh, I forgot. This is Madara Uchiha. So this is uh, the uh, leader of the Uchiha clan and uh, the exact relation to Sasuke I'm trying to figure out. Uh, is it brother or father? Uh, no, uh, Itachi is his brother. Yeah, so uh, this would be his father, I believe. Something like or that. Or is it just someone still in the Uchiha clan, which isn't necessarily I, I th all I related? Think he by might blood. actually be an ancestor. I don't. Uh, what's our What's our level of Naruto knowledge around the around the room here? It's been years since I last saw it, but I am familiar with pre Sasuke gets. Like, right when Sasuke uh, gets kidnapped. That's... Oh, so you've seen about the first 20 episodes. No. <laughs> by by or Oroch... Uh, you know, Orochimaru. By Orochimaru, takes... yeah. So you've seen about the first 20 episodes. Yes. That happens... Re you, did you not make it to Shippuden? I tried. Yeah, you, you so got about 20 episodes so, in. So much filler. Yeah, you got about 20 episodes in. Is there a Naruto deke... Uh, actual dikai like with dragon ball that i missed damn it Mario. no because i've only <laughs> seen up through the first arc of shippuden which is still you know uh, i think that's like 70 to 100 episodes somewhere in there but uh sasuke getting kidnapped by rochimaru was very early on so no that's uh, when uh the god uh the really lazy ninja becomes a chunin becomes a chunin yeah, yeah. and chases after them that's not yeah. in the. Uh... No, you become. Yeah, right. They. It's anyway. Yeah. Uh, Madara is in fact the uh, in service to the Moon Goddess. He's an ancestor of um of the of the of the Uchiha clan. Uh, he's trying to make you know he's trying to wrap the world in an, an, an eternal dream, etc. And so on and so forth. One of the big bads of the series. Uh, so this is all about his plan to do so. Who is he opposed by? Well, so does Naruto still exist, or actually, are we randomizing the uh, antagonist as well here? We can randomize the antagonist as well. Sure, let's do that. Our new uh, antagonistic force to this grand master plan of bringing about the end of the world is Itachi, his descendants. Oh. oh gosh, wait, no, this this actually works. This actually does work. This yeah. isn't supposed to. This isn't supposed to actually sound like a viable plot. <laughs> That's not the point here. Well, it, it, the, the the randomizer has, has spoken. Yeah, Let apparently us... we're just actually writing good stuff. Fine, because this, like, oh, this makes perfect sense that we now are following the villain, and it's sort of a... Madara is now an anti-hero of sorts, and it's... It, I guess it's not quite Death Note now, but it's almost Death Note. Well, except that the, the the protagonist, I guess, is even more edge because Itachi is one of the edgiest characters in the series. He there's a lot Sasuke, of edgy people in this series. Sasuke spends his, his most of his life trying to get to Itachi because Itachi killed the whole clan. The thing is, the whole clan were traitors following the whole Madara plan. <laughs> yep, and trying to like destroy the world. And so, like, this is actually just canon. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> <laughs> what? I, I feel um, like we need the the thing of the usual uh, cue that Cameron has of oh no they don't lore I actually got oh, it no, hold on I actually lore. got it we just referenced existing lore I actually have that hold hold on a second 
Yeah, but it doesn't work because we didn't write it. It's oh no, we didn't write lore. That was the point here. But well, anyways, yeah, you probably guess, didn't hear that. I actually have that. that yeah, uh, Cameron has his. Uh, well, no, I um, made it, so it also pipes through Discord, but yours will just go through Twitch. Yeah, but so anyway, it went through Twitch. So, so don't worry so about the we, we came up for. Some of the big themes that you have in Naruto are obviously uh, the overcoming of adversity that is characteristic of shonen series. It, uh, with Naruto in particular, him coming through a very rough childhood in multiple ways, which as the series goes on, we only just come to realize more and more how messed up Naruto's upbringing was. And Man, the fact that he, he, had a, is, he had some shit parents. He did, and the fact that he then turns out to be this just cursed vessel and actually having, you know, a pseudo-deity being sealed in him. Uh, poor guy. But what we have here with Madara is... I don't know the circumstances through which Madara came into the service of this moon goddess of destruction thing, but uh, I guess we'll be exploring that, and uh, so you have almost a wicked type of thing where you can see the degradation of a character and see how somebody who presumably was raised in the Uchiha clan, which is not an inherently evil clan, even though they have many antagonists in the Naruto story, that the clan itself was not an evil one. So we'd be seeing this progression of the character and sort of exploring these darker themes. Uh, and then we also have the opposing force of Itachi, so there's going to be more familial uh, themes going on here, just they are literally family. And the... The counterpoint and juxtaposition of their different beliefs would end up taking, I think, a bit more of a focal role in all of this than it is in Naruto, where things are relatively black and white, so I suppose we'd probably want to paint it a bit more in the grays here. So, here's a question. Later on in the series, when, Sa when Sasuke finally catches up to Itachi and is like, you will pay for everything that you've done, and he's like, you do not understand, uh, Part of Itachi's whole plan is to actually have Sasuke kill him and take his Sharingan uh, so that he'll be power powerful enough to stop everyone, you know, that's that our moon goddess, whatever. Uh, Sasuke, also a pretty terrible childhood. Um, the only reason he, Sasuke was spared uh, from the whole, like, clan genocide that the uh, the villages ordered um, Itachi to commit was because he was just young and didn't wasn't in on the plot yet. So later in the series... Sasuke kills Itachi. However, we can randomize this. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to go that far. Well, uh, I mean, do we do we care about Death Note spoilers? Can I, can I Death Note spoilers? Lorraine? Uh, I read all of Death Note, so no, it's not okay. okay. Uh Neo <laughs> Ivan? Uh, I generally, I mean, I know a spoiler. I know someone dies, and beyond that, I don't care. Okay, that's, well, yeah, that, for that's listeners, you've been warned about Death Note spoilers. Skip about mm, 10 minutes in the podcast if you want to miss Death Note spoilers, because I'm pretty sure we'll be on to the next one by then. Otherwise, Statute of Limitations, that series came out a long time ago. Yeah. So this, uh, it about, what, two-thirds of the way through Death Note, um, the nominal protagonist in L dies. And the nominal, vil nominal villain wins. And we have to have a substitute protagonist which, for Death Note, turned out to be basically the point where it stopped being very good. 
but well, we can I maybe know, do that better. I'll dispute that. I think that the Nier arc actually has a lot that the character of Nier is not as fun as L. No one will deny you that. But I think the story actually continued to be just as strong, even if it didn't have as fun of a protagonist. But that's for an entirely different show. I will, yeah, I will reserve my feelings on that. We can, we can talk, we can talk about that later. However, um, yeah, so we can do, we can do a beat like that where the, the you know, the nominal protagonist gets killed in our, in our, in our, you know, antagonist uh, protagonist focus on the antagonist narrative, and then we can have a whole. Uh, New protagonist, someone who maybe takes up the uh, takes up Itachi's quest after learning about uh, about what it is. Do we want to randomize? Well, I I don't want to just completely go into crazy stuff here. That uh, I think that changing the protagonist and the antagonist respectively gives us things, and then we can sort of extrapolate from there. Because otherwise, it is just a bit too much. So we're trying to get. Some well, given that we basically here. basically given that we basically written actual lore so far, yes, that is yeah. a bit of a problem, isn't I mean, it? But so, if anything, that makes this a bit more academic because now we're actually exploring the uh, actual themes at play. I mean, so, wouldn't the roles be reversed in this? What if it's Itachi who is trying to do the Moon Goddess's bidding, and Madarame is like, "Hey, knock it off." Madarame, that, that's that's Persona Five, different show. No, sorry. Uh, Madara. 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 Excuse me. Well, no. If we're if we're assuming the events all happen happen the same way, then there's, the show is now focused on Madara, and that, uh, we're we're basically have we have we have a villain protagonist. Mm. Yeah. That uh, and just by virtue of having a villain protagonist, that really changes the coloring of the series because it is then really exploring the the circumstances, some of the psychology, and just the methodology of all right, all these years of planning that we see these horrific acts that we hear of happening off screen but not actually seeing on screen and also just the examination of all right what makes somebody think and operate that way so you actually get into what is no longer your conventional shonen series and now is probably a much darker like i said almost death note-esque series where you see this type of execution and uh, exploration of a character that is not a good person so in on that note uh we will probably be delving more into madara's backstory and madara is partially the way he is because he grew up in the warring states period this is not necessary this is not just a like exploration of a villain this is also an intergenerational story where even itachi who had to murder his whole clan lives in a brighter and you know more hopeful fe uh, future than the one that madarame could have ever wanted or could, could have ever expected he you, wanted you, to you saying madarame too damn it <laughs> <laughs> than madara could have ever expected yeah he came up with you know violence all around him and wanted control based on violence because it seemed to be the only thing that anyone you know responded to well i get the feeling that Lorraine and Neo Ivan don't have much to contribute because they are not super familiar with Naruto. Uh, you definitely have the most knowledge of this, but I figure we should probably move on to the next one so there will hopefully be more that they can contribute because I think right now this is all Latin to them. Yeah, I, I think I read basically up to where uh, Madara shows up and I really don't remember much at that point so I was just like oh, I never finished Naruto oh no <laughs> yeah I wouldn't be that much help 
right. said, well, all you need to know really is that Mike Guy kicks a tree. And it's awesome. Sweet. Hopefully you two are a bit more familiar with Yu-Gi-Oh! I know yeah. nothing about Yu-Gi-Oh! Except the memes. Uh, well, well, to be fair, no offense to you, Ivan, you do not watch a lot of anime. I try. <laughs> well, anyway, so we're going on now to Yu-Gi-Oh! And who is our new protagonist, Hayes? Oh, it's time to duel! And our protagonist is... Ishizu! Ooh, this could be a good Ooh, one. Ooh, that's spicy. Ooh, spicy. Okay. So, uh, Lorraine, I assume that you know who we're referring to when we say Ishizu. Uh, Ishizu... Hang on. I'm t or you can go ahead and explain it. Ishizu Ishtar is <laughs> the sister of Merrick, who is the primary antagonist of Season 2. She is one of the descendants of the Gravekeepers, the people who protect the tomb of the pharaoh and she's the person items. who uh has the millennium necklace is able to see into the future and the past and basically adds as sort of the vessel of lore effectively beginning in the second season so we actually get a fair bit of development of her and her brother in season two and she continues to be a minor presence in the later seasons but what you get with Ishizu being put in the spotlight that you get to actually explore the deep lore of ancient Egypt in the past that you'd probably see something more along the lines of Dawn of the Duel, as it's known, the final season where they go into the past and really explore the pharaoh's memories. You'd probably get something more along the lines of that for your bread and butter of the series of really exploring the history behind everything, uh, you'd probably still get some duels here and there, but it, she has a much more it, she's something of a steward for the series that while she duels once or twice, her involvement is in facilitating other actors, literally and figuratively here, into action. And she's she's the person that goes to Seto Kaiba and says, this is your history, this is your past. In order to save the world, I need you to gather uh, as many powerful duelists as possible. You should run a tournament to do it. And while Seto Kaiba's response is, I don't believe in any of this stuff that you're saying, but you're telling me there's some really powerful cards out there, so yeah, I'll organize this dang tournament for you, but not because you told me to do so, like the Sundere he is, but that's an entirely different <laughs> show. Uh but you almost get something of, you know, even like a political thriller potentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have the, you have the the tomb keepers, or at least Ashizu, who is part of a, an, an organization, although small, who which is opposing her brother, who is the you know I do we want to call him the Mad Prince of the Tomb Keepers, Marikishtar? something like that. Yes, very mad, definitely prince esque. Uh, who is attempting to, to rule the world, of course, by assembling the, assembling the power of the god cards and the millennium items, like you do in Yu-Gi-Oh, because this is, this is how this show works. Um, so now we have the organization of... Well, I okay. Yu-Gi-Oh abridged is deeply lodged in my brain. The Steve organization, headed by Merrick, versus uh, Ishizu on, on her own trying to like manipulate people into into positions where they will actually be useful to her instead of just brushing her off like they always do because you know 
Yu-Gi-Oh, the Yu-Gi-Oh universe treats its yeah, female but, characters not very well. If anything, it would almost become something of a Cold War story, and wherein she is uh, a general or intelligence officer along those lines of just, like we said, she is not inter- inherently a combatant in the card games very often. There's one time where she finds herself in a position because she sort of has to occupy a given slot, but ultimately she doesn't have to be doing something that it's just because timelines and whatnot without having to go into too much deep lore. But the, um, uh, the, the, the thing is you can't actually have a Shizu as a combatant most of the time because she's utterly overpowered. That's true. The fact that she has the millennium necklace, which allows her to see into the future and the past means that under normal circumstances, she's able to completely see the outcome of all duels. The one duel that she does participate in that is a major plot point is one where her visions are rendered void and that Seto Kaiba literally is able to defy fate. And that's a very big thing in the story. And especially for Seto Kaiba as a character in the canon story is uh, Seto Kaiba is a, a man of defiance that he does not like being main or contained or told what he can and cannot do. He is a self-made man in every sense of the word. And while he is Sundare, he's also a genuinely smart and driven person. And uh, in the main series, the ability for him to even once defy what should be written is considered a very big moment for uh, both Ashizu and him because for Ashizu on the other side in canon, it represents a uh, almost a religious disillusionment moment for her because everything that she has ever been taught, everything she has ever known is that the vision of her millennium necklace is absolute, that it will tell you the past because it can see into the past and the past is written, but it can also see into the future and that as far as she knows, the future is also written and that it should be maintained. So the fact that Seto Kaiba is able to alter the future is mind-boggling for her. And it makes her question what she knows because, all right, if Seto Kaiba is able to make it so the future is not set in stone in this one moment, that means that everything else is up in the air. Everything that half of what she knows, the future and the past, everything in the future that she used to know is no longer in her control. And that's kind of a scary thing for her as a character, especially one who has such vast responsibility. Because part of what her... um, Part of her driving motivation is her first vision when she takes takes uh, takes ownership of the necklace, which is not a good one. It is of war and conflict, and you know, the pharaoh being involved and her brother being involved. I won't give it get into too, too many details. Yeah, basically, but, she sees visions of a of a ruined, war torn future where her brother is perilously close to being able to complete his plan. And so she has been acting her entire life to make sure that the end of that vision is not like uh, what it seems like it should be. Yes. So for her, uh, in addition to the whole religious disillusionment type of thing, it's also a moment of utter dread of, uh, oh gosh, is all the work I've been doing for naught. But at the same time, it also represents hope because, okay, if Seto Kaiba can undo this, maybe I can make it so 
the the horrors that I saw of my brother even getting close to completing his goals, maybe I can stop him even earlier. So it's a very complex moment, actually. Uh, well, I mean, why did you roll the Shizu? She's a she's a fun character to examine yeah. uh, in general, and the fact that she doesn't actually do a lot of dueling, but has such a integral role in the plot, makes her someone that I think would genuinely be very interesting to explore and follow in her own series. God, I would love to see a Yu-Gi-Oh series with a female protagonist as well. That too. <sighs> <laughs> Uh, Lorraine, Hayes and I have been ranting a fair bit. Uh, you know, Ivan, I know you aren't very familiar with Yu-Gi-Oh, but Lorraine, do you have any uh, particular, like, memories of Ishizu or thoughts about her character, whether it be in canon or in what this new series might be? Um, not really. Unfortunately, it's been a long time. Like, I have, I do have a lot of memories of Yu-Gi-Oh, but I feel like I don't remember too much about i mean i remember what she was doing in this series but um yeah i don't know if i have much else to add since it's been a while um but i do think it is kind of interesting the idea that she's you know she can see the future and she wants to stop the her brother but then you know she feels like it's written down but then if kaiba like can show that the future can change like it, it makes it does make for a pretty interesting uh story yeah um that, yeah, that particular I, duel just it's a very complex emotional moment for her Is yeah that new, uh, ivan you were saying i was just going to say that um this premise sounds far more interesting uh i mean i'll be honest all i know of uh Yu-Gi-Oh besides the memes are that it's a it's a card game but i didn't all the marketing didn't really tell me about the stakes, so for me there was no hook into it. But this sounds very interesting, especially with a character who has the ability to see the future. And you know, like like Lorraine and uh, Hayes say, if you have to you have to fight fate in a way. Like, is this a set timeline? Will we be making new timelines? There's there's a lot that could happen here, and that sounds very interesting to me. Hopefully it would be done better than in the actual show because there's a lot of timey wimey stuff going on. Oh yeah. As far as, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh's actual like approach to uh <laughs> the timeline lines plural, mm -hmm. maybe. I don't know. Just could consider it all a game and you'll be you'll be doing pretty pretty well. It gets dangerously close to being canon what if with itself. Yeah, it actually does. Speaking of, do we want to randomize another role in this this series? Sure, why not? So we did antagonist before. Do we want to do uh, chief supporting character? So who who is the Watson to Ishizu's Holmes, or who is the Joey to Yugi's uh, Joey? Yeah. <laughs> sure. Uh, survey says, "Oh dear." <laughs> oh no! <laughs> this could actually work. Uh. It's Mokuba? Oh. Mokuba Kaiba. <laughs> oh, boy. Because what is he if not an assistant character already, just to his brother? Mm-hmm. So... And what is he if, if not somebody nobody pays attention to unless they, they're kidnapping him? Mm-hmm. He And is... someone who would actually listen to Ishizu. He is the DID of this series. DID? Damsel in Distress. Oh, yes, mm. yes. Um... 
okay, so assuming we're not completely rewriting character lineages and saying that he was born a tomb keeper and that he is still the brother of Seto Kaiba, mm-hmm. we'd probably see something along the lines of Mokuba is an interesting character because his character in the canon series starts out as this damsel in distress of just, you know, exists to be kidnapped and rescued by his brother, but in the later series, or the later season, really begins to get developed, and he has this awareness of, okay, I've been very powerless, and I don't want to be that anymore. I want to be somebody that people can rely on, even if I'm not a savior or something. I want to be useful. I want to be able to be someone who can at least handle their own and maybe be relied on every so often by others. He wants to make his brother proud of him. Yes. And what I could see is Ishizu goes to Kaiba to convince him of his role in the the coming struggle against the darkness. And that Mokuba is there and that while Kaiba brushes her off and uh, says, I will start my own tournament, but not because you told me to, that Mokuba believes her. And that behind his brother's back begins to collaborate with her and basically helps feed her information because he's canonically shown as being basically, like I said, Seto's right hand. And he is the commissioner, actually, of the tournament that Seto runs. So he has access to all the city's surveillance stuff is able to track all of the other duelists, things of that sort. So, Which Mokuba is terrifying, could, we should note. It is. It is. They basically make it... Um, this whole tournament that Kaiba runs is sort of a Truman Show type of thing, that they're all stuck within the city for a certain amount of time. Everyone, they have, you know, drones watching everyone because it's all being broadcast. It's this big, sprawling game. And Mokuba is both the commissioner, so the enforcer of the rules, but he's also something of a TV producer that you see him basically in a production booth at one point looking at various surveillance cameras and watching several duels uh, for both security observation, but presumably also for broadcast purposes. So uh, this is another character that only duels once or twice. I don't think he ever duels. Very integral supporting role. And basically getting these two supporting characters together that... uh, So all this information that Mokuba has access to, he can now pass along to Ishizu. So I don't see them as going along Holmes Watson style and being side by side, but that they are collaborators and that he's able to help her out and that she is probably able to be something of... Uh, a bit of a big sister character to him because, goodness knows, Mokuba doesn't really have much apart from Seto until very, very late in the series. And Seto is usually preoccupied with many, many things. And that's one of Mokuba's canonical struggles of, you know, wanting to make his brother proud because his brother is so busy and successful that he doesn't always have time for his little brother, even if... Seto loves Mokuba dearly. Mokuba is literally the only person in the world that Seto Kaiba will get off his butt for. No, no, that's incorrect. There's also his boyfriend. Well, (laughs) that's an entirely separate podcast. (laughs) Yeah, it does set up kind of a 
interesting dynamic too because like uh merrick's uh ishizu's little brother as well so mm -hmm. she kind of ends up interacting with mokuba it's like you know the brother like, oh, that she I don't have, have, have because her <laughs> little brother was stolen away by this evil spirit yeah yeah, that, ooh, that's a really good point, Lorraine, because then it sets up a bit of extra emotional tension for her because she probably wouldn't even realize that she is, over the course of this hypothetical series, drawing closer and closer to Mokuba and becoming a big sister, possibly out of the void that she was left from Merrick's betrayal. So that's entirely... a just separate emotional layer for the characters to work through so it, i really like that and it's obviously a very mm -hmm. very logical one because you have here the two siblings who each have a sibling that doesn't that for one reason or another is not near them be it physically or emotionally and then we have and all the daddy trauma because if you that recall, is an entirely separate podcast Oh my goodness, we're not getting into Gozaburo Kaiba, and I can't remember the name of Ishizu and Marek's father, but um, it's, For me, the, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh! Bridge is always going to make a Hank Ishtar, who uh, Marek, after, immediately after going mad, uh, I mean sent to the Shadow Realm. Yes, because we don't commit acts of violence uh, on FCC broadcasts. Right. Yeah, there's definitely no spike in the Millennium Rod that's used for sacrificial purposes. Certainly not. Certainly not. We will disavow any knowledge. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and technically Yugi can still exist in all this. That We don't even necessarily need to change the overarching storylines here. Yeah, no. That just... These two characters are admittedly off-screen enough that they could you could write a fanfic in canon and say that these two characters had a, uh, a this collaborative relationship and unseen helped have a hand in the canon series oh yeah absolutely like mokuba like you said mokuba is one of the few people that seto will get off his ass for and man within the universe Seto is roughly the equivalent of a tactical nuclear strike. So if, if Shizu has the ability to point that where she wants. <laughs> yeah, that, that's very good. And it's not only is Mokuba being an informant for Ishizu on different happenings in the tournament of like, okay, these duels are here and uh, she has to at one point win a couple duels herself. So she gets access to the finals because she needs to be there sort of, uh, even if not as the winner, but... Uh, that's what sets up her big duel with Kaiba, which she, at that point, at the very least, believes to be required by fate. Um, so she, she has to get there. Mokuba could be the one that tells her, all right, this is where you can find these duelists that you can beat, and also, here's ones to avoid. And simultaneously... Yeah. Don't go uh, in the medic shop. Yeah. Well, and run to the creepy magic basement. And uh, she could be informing him to say, all right... Fate says Seto needs to do this now. Nudge him in that direction for me. And that a sort of an indirect puppeteering of Seto without his knowledge because Mokuba wants to help Ashizu save the world and he's like, all right, the things you're telling me 
I don't think are going to cause my brother harm. So even if, like, there's something wrong with the predictions, I'm still okay doing this. This isn't compromising any of my morals or beliefs or making me put my brother at risk. So, sure, I'll tell him that he should probably go duel that guy a couple streets down because I'm sure he can take him anyways. Well, there's nothing that Mokobo thinks his brother can't do. That as well. Anyway, I think yeah, this is uh, this is a this is an entirely valid idea. <laughs> yeah, dang it, this was supposed to be two absurd things, and we okay, had okay, to, okay. Like... Do, we, do we want do we want to put a, take another roll and, and randomize again and see if that if that just breaks everything? Let's roll it again, and we'll discuss it for like a minute, but then we should move on to the next one. Okay, so who is going to be our what 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 like what character archetype do we need to fill? Love interest. Uh, and, 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 <laughs> we sorry. already have the villain. I want to keep the villain. Um, who is... Comic Relief. Okay. <laughs> Our Comic Relief character is... Maximilian Pegasus! Dang it, this is still canon! <laughs> <laughs> now, the big problem that we have here is that... By the time that Ishizu enters the picture, Maximilian Pegasus has exited the picture. He has had his Millennium Eye stolen by Bakora at the end of Season 1 and has retired to his luxurious villa in some nondescript location. But we know that he's not actually killed, but, uh, you know, he now no longer has his Millennium Eye and is just enjoying retirement. This, this, is too, this works too well. We because what we do now him. is just every so often we cut over to Maximilian in his villa oh, doing no. whatever oh. the heck that rich, smarmy, fabulous man wants to do in his free time. And it's too Maybe easy to write him watching. in as well. Because Maybe he... he's watching the broadcast of the tournament on TV being like, Oh, Kaiba boy, you silly, silly person. Uh, you and your blue eyes, I'm sure you'll uh, do something uh, that is amusing today. And he's financing a Shizu because, of course, he is. Oh, that's right. Because <laughs> Pegasus also has obviously a connection to the, the Tomb, Tomb Keepers, Keepers and everything yeah. by virtue of the fact that he had the Millennium Eye at one point. So he's aware of all this. So he may have been contacted by a Shizu and actually, yes, be financing her because even in his retirement, it's like, okay, I no longer have the Millennium Eye. Uh, my own personal goals have been thwarted by Yuki and company, but even if I don't necessarily like them, I don't want to see the world end because I like still existing, thank you very much. So all my stuff how much is money here. is it that you need to make sure that the world doesn't get entirely destroyed? Plus, this whole tournament is a great uh, fundraiser and publicity stunt for the game that I own the uh, IP rights to. So sure, I'll gladly see this as an investment. Yeah, it just works. Dang it. All right. We have two more. Next one, let's go to Pokemon. Uh, uh, Lorraine, how much I, do you I, know I Pokemon and uh, Neo Ivan? How about this? So we're just talking season one of Pokemon, Indigo League, Generation 1. How much do you all know? Uh, I watched all of that. Uh, so I should be. Obviously, it's been a while, but I should be familiar with it all. Neo Ivan, tell me you've at least played Pokemon Red or Blue. I have. Yes, we got there. Yes, <laughs> yes. And I have watched yes. 
that show Pokemon, at least the first season, a little bit. Yeah. Okay. But, and that was a long time ago, but I, I do remember the video games, so I sort of remember the beats there. Okay. okay. Who is our protagonist, Hayes? Our protagonist is... Officer Jenny. <laughs> oh, oh, this is too easy. This is just a, it, it's literally a cop she, show now. She's after Brock. Brock has crossed the line. <laughs> and no, that I I think what we're getting here is uh this is now just like I said it's a cop show and it's Jenny continuously trying to hunt down Team Rocket. Not Team Rocket Jesse James Meowth, but the actual nefarious mafia. Well, hang on, hang on. Rocket. We could we could randomize antagonist here. Mm, I feel like this one's a bit too natural here to have as just, all right, if we're following a new character, uh, who is the new one? But the interesting option that we could have is, is this the story of a particular Jenny, like a singular Jenny who has the authority to basically be... Um, the only military uh, slash police force in the uh, in the Pokemon world. No, the question is, is it a singular Jenny who has the authority and jurisdiction to move about Kanto? Or is this a series of individual chapters and vignettes of Jennies across Kanto? So, you know, we have an episode or two with the Viridian Jenny, and then we have a couple episodes with the Pewter City Jenny, and that we go to each city and town throughout the area. And we have references and maybe a couple scenes where Jennies talk to each other, but that this is showing the grander organization of Jenny law enforcement in the land as they collaboratively try to take down Team Rocket, or is it a single Jenny who is going on a more personal journey trying to take down the organization? This is going to be confusing either way, I think, because... I if, if it is a single Jenny, you're going to meet a whole lot of other Jennies, and they all look and act the same. So we would wonder, have to have some kind of, kind of distinguishing feature. Yeah, I wonder if you can kind of almost do a Osamatsu thing. Like, I don't know if you've seen that. God. All the siblings that look alike. So you yeah. can kind of get away with, like, having, you know, there's all these Jennies that look similar, but then you can add unique traits to them. So, like, if you follow different Jennies, maybe, like, you can distinguish which one's which, just maybe from their personality maybe like well they have different canonically accessories. the way quote unquote are supposed to tell or at the very least that they visually show the difference is each jenny has a different pin or emblem on their hat okay so uh every other part of their uniforms are identical but just in each city like you know one person has a round pin one person has a star pin there's no really significant rhyme or reason to the different shapes but that's sort of the gag of, okay, you can tell that this one's different because they have a, a square pin on their hat. But you bring up a very interesting option that I had immediately jumped to, okay, it's a cop show now because she's a cop. And that is a unique thing about her character that she can do. But you honed in, honestly, on the other main thing, which I sort of had in mind, but you took to it as a more focal point of the fact that she is one of many and that that can be an interesting hook for the series so whereas i was thinking all right this could be a an action potentially gritty cop show 
that you went, let's make this osamatsu. Let's make this a comedy of, okay, maybe it's the Jenny family uh, in their off time, or maybe it's the Jenny family during their teenage years before they enlisted in the force and being able to just have this very whimsical offbeat series where you see the slight differences in each Jenny as you do in Osamatsu-san because now I'm just imagining Jennies in that animation style, each with their different pins and maybe not being quite as dumb as Osamatsu. Yeah. <laughs> more more kid-friendly. <laughs> of them being aspiring uh, police officers or just being siblings together. And that in and of itself would be a really cool thing because there we do see that there are younger Jennies as well, that they aren't all uh, a single generation of Jennies that were all born simultaneously, that the uh, Jenny lineage is continuous uh, and hey. consistent in its genealogy. We won't bother getting into how it's that is possible. genealogy? Gosh. Mm. Hey. But yeah, I think either of these are entirely viable premises. I, I like the family concept, honestly. And we can we can mix and match that with the like vignette style, like chopping around different cities to get different locations. Like mm -hmm. just have a, you know a day in the life of you know Viridian Jenny as she deals with you know the problems in that town. It can be like uh, I guess kind of like call the midwife, or maybe we have a, we have a, we have little like Miss Marple bits because um, they are they are detectives in in some sense. Um, but yeah, we can we can transcend like any singular uh any singular like jenny if we need to do more interesting things uh but you know you know what i think we need because if we're going to have this like jenny family adventures sort of vibe i think we need another character here we need to know what what exactly we're dealing with here well i was saying I... it was going to be team rocket but maybe what would be interesting is who is even if not the antagonist who is either the straight man to their, you know, antics, or who is the uh, frumpy, grumpy, uh, pseudo-antagonist that isn't necessarily somebody to be defeated, but is a thorn in their whimsy-loving ways. I like this. And Servo says, Oh, that's, that, again, works too well. It's just, we just got Giovanni. Oh, no, that doesn't count, because this is still just uh, Jenny's taking on Team Rocket. Well, okay, I, I would absolutely watch a series with Giovanni, just just a, just a grumpy old man being like, mm, those police officers are playing in the yard again. <laughs> so the question is, is he still the leader of Team Rocket? And is it that he happens to be their neighbor and secretly runs Team Rocket, you know, without them knowing, and that just over the course of the series we come to realize, oh, the grumpy man next door actually is the greater evil the whole time, and that he has this uh, other side that we were not previously aware of. Or is it that uh, Giovanni intentionally gets close to the Jennies to keep an eye on them so he's always one step ahead? I like the comedy angle more, honestly. It, it feels more fitting. Mm -hmm. 
of just like Giovanni, who is who's like, oh, the neighborhood's like so full, of, full of you know this stupid, stupid family. <sighs> they're they're ruining my lawn, and now I'm gonna go into my secret basement and connect, and connect my shadow organization. So this is this is almost um, Phineas and Ferb, uh, Doofenshmirtz. <laughs> I was thinking more Grunkle Stan. Well, Grunkle Stan doesn't end up being an actual villain. This is true, but um, a, a little bit more, uh, a little bit more grumpy. Hmm. Possibly. Can't believe we got we got Giovanni. Yeah. And any ideas for this, Lorraine? Or Neo uh, Ivan? Yeah, I don't know. I can't remember who that is. So Giovanni is the leader of Team Rocket. He's oh, the final Jew the, leader. The guy. Oh, okay. Oh, oh. The Giovanni. He's the <laughs> boss. You know, yeah, the, the boss that uh, the Team Rocket are always like, oh no, the boss will be so mad. And yeah, they, that's but that's just kind of because that's yeah. his resting state. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think I think this plays into like you know, I don't know maybe 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 we set it back in time a little bit while, while the fam the family is still like all together and not diasporated out across the continent or region as it were. And oh, so you know, th this could be sort of a prequel series now where oh oh I know how it works now this is what happens okay so this is with the Jenny family still together in their early teenage years you know, doing teenage antics as teens do, and Giovanni is occupying the role of grumpy neighbor. And the thing is, at the start of the series, Team Rocket does not exist. He creates Team Rocket to get back at the Jennies because they just infuriate him so much that he starts doing these things as he starts with your, starts as a local gang. <laughs> yeah, that doing things that your usual children's show antagonists do of you know, oh, I'm I'm gonna get that uh rascally kid and uh get him in trouble or something or, or put a Shut stop down to, the pool hole yeah exactly stuff like that and that it starts out with him doing these sorts of schemes to try and just put a damper on them get them grounded make it so they're out of his hair and slowly but surely this escalates because as the jennies get older the level of trouble and frustration that they can cause him increases and he has to scale his efforts in a reciprocal manner and eventually when they all join the police force and he realizes oh my gosh i literally i can't even take a vacation anymore i can't so i grew up here in viridian i can't go to pewter city without seeing a jenny i can't go to celadon and, uh, you know, shop at the Big Mart without seeing a Jenny. I can't go all the way to frickin' Cinnabar Island without finding a Jenny there. It's, Cinnabar there Island is just, it's just down the river, actually. That's, that's not that far. And just saying, okay, if they're going to have this presence, I need to make sure that I have people everywhere that they are trying to put a stop to them and keeping them out of my hair. Team Rocket doesn't start as a criminal organization. They start out as babysitters to distract the Jennies so Giovanni can just have some peace and quiet. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, one quick, one interesting thing I saw in the chat from Bell Toll is 
a Jenny or the Jenny that we follow is also being followed by Mewtwo, who is searching for the meaning of his existence by studying the life which he believes to be the successful clone story of the Jennies. Oh my god. Well, that's great. <laughs> well, so this causes a slight bit of tension because Giovanni, funny enough, is the person that financed the creation of Mewtwo post-founding of Team Rocket because he wanted to create the most Pokemon, the most powerful Pokemon in the world. And he succeeded. Ha ha, got that in there. Um, so maybe what happens is that that's sort of, that's one of the later seasons that after the Jennies have joined the the police force and that Team Rocket has been created, Giovanni finances and creates Mewtwo as intended. But after Mewtwo escapes and everything, instead of going to New Island and trying to destroy humanity as he did in Pokemon the first movie, he instead discovers the Jennies and has this fascination and is this sort of side character that amidst the continued squabbles of Giovanni and the Jennies, he's observing them because, like it was suggested, he sees them as the successful creation and existence of clones oh my among God. normal humans. And he thinks that because he discovers all the records that Giovanni has on them while he's blowing up the base. <laughs> this writes itself. <laughs> now, we're still saying Jennies still are naturally occurring phenomena. They are not clones. Uh, it's just that the genealogy, that the is, genealogy... That, 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 that is, is a strange phrase, by the way. Jennies are a naturally occurring phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, though. That this is... That they are not, you know, main allowed. They are not actual clones. But that Mewtwo is absolutely convinced that they are. Which is weird for a telepath, given that he could just read their minds, but you know. He, well, he reads their minds and he writes off their thoughts as, oh, just... They were probably raised and told that they weren't clones because uh, their parents didn't want to upset them or something. There's no way that they can actually be identical like this for so many generations and not be clones. That it's either that they are willingly deluding themselves or are being lied to by other forces. It, there's no way they aren't clones. That it, He would absolutely just brush that off. He's absolutely arrogant enough to assume that, yes. Uh, you have anything else, Lorraine or Neil Ivan, before we move on to our last uh, little what if? I, I like uh, this I premise for a Pokemon. That sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I have anything else. <laughs> well, for our last one, if you thought that we were going to get out of here without a Code Geass reference, you were wrong. So, Hayes, who is the new protagonist of Code Geass? First things first, uh, Neo, Evan, I'm assu I assume you've hung out with Joel, so you've heard a lot about Code Geass. Lorraine, what's your exposure well, to Code Geass? It, no, he hasn't hung out a lot with me. He's hung out a lot with Mario. Oh. Yes. <laughs> and I have seen all of season one and a good bit of season two, but I can't remember. Oh, you need to finish it. Uh, it, got, <laughs> it got to that. I can't remember what stopped me, but I think it was just like, well, this is getting... I'll get Mario on your butt to make sure that you follow. Oh, he's been trying. Anything. He's been trying. Uh, but yeah, I've watched both no, I did... the... Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. No, no, please uh, go I watched... uh, I watched both the first and second season. Lush was my favorite character at the time Kogias came out. I haven't watched any of the newer 
uh, spin-off stuff, so I'm not... Oh, don't worry about the spin-off stuff. That, uh, yeah, yeah. There's the, the Akito, the ex exiled OVAs, which are pretty good, and that's fine, and there's one additional movie, but for the purposes of today, the two core seasons are all that you need to know. Okay. Okay, so who is our protagonist? It is Charles Z. Britannia, the Emperor. Uh, I want to re-roll this one because this is too much... This would be too much like what we did with Naruto because now it's the antagonist being the protagonist and you're exploring that, and uh, I feel like it would be too similar. Okay. Millie. Ooh. Millie that Ashford. I like. Is, is, this, is this too similar to um, Ishizu? Ishizu? Is it, is it? Yeah. Mm. No, because Millie's role is inherently more passive in the for one thing i think series. i think it would be do it i think it would be hard to say that millie has a role period <laughs> but that's what makes this so different and interesting because she now gives us the civilian perspective so, or she gets the gears it was never Lelouch, well, it, but it, it was if, her if we're not changing the if we're not we, we could change the story around altogether or we could try to do like you know i mean this the, is a what on, on the sidelines of great events. Yeah, because I... Honestly, honestly, rolling Millie just makes me want to bring out my big old Gias rewrite that I've, I've, you know, I've, I've talked about before, uh, to you at least. Uh, now, but the, the I, issue with Millie getting the Gias is that she doesn't have the inherent drive or desire to topple Britannia. So without that, the, the series kind of as happen. we know it doesn't exist in the first place. So if we're if you want to go down that rabbit hole, that's fine. But we need to realize that, uh, whereas in some of these other ones we've worked with the op with the uh, mentality that existing canon still happens, and this is how we frame our narrative. That is okay, but we would then need to be this would then be full on fanfic, whereas uh, doing on the sidelines of great events would be doing different uh, different narrative examinations in canon. Which is what we've done so far. Lorraine, Neil, Ivan, do either of you have an opinion on uh, which rabbit hole you'd like to go down this last time? Uh, for me, perhaps it is more... You you do have a good point that without, without Lelouch having it, it would be it would probably just become a garden variety anime, except our character has the ability to make someone do whatever they want, which in a way can be interesting. That but could become in this, a comedy series right Yeah, there. That, that could become because a comedy. Th this is now the student council president at well, this, you know, very wealthy, illustrious academy has a Gios, but she's also, uh, since there is the underlying plot for her of uh potential political marriages there's a number of directions we can go there so there are there is opportunities there yeah and or and or it could also go really dark because if i can make anyone do whatever i want oh god so okay um <laughs> well that i think it wouldn't work because that's a rewrite of millie's character and millie's character yeah. i well, do not think would go well, down those darker routes well i think it is a um well, I mean, you know what they say, to test someone's true character, you give them ultimate power. 
the show already has them in the the context of yeah Yeah, but not like this i mean like again the ability to make anyone do whatever you want like it is a for me it's an interesting philosophical question she does have that power as student council president and the abuses she does are amusing and minor so i actually think that uh even though that the scale here is a bit different, that uh, in the world that Millie knows of Ashford Academy, she is uh, comparable to a goddess because of her popularity and genuine authority and the fact that she is the granddaughter of uh, the chairman. So I actually do think that it is safe to say that her character is not... is as unprone to conventional corruption as one could get at at least among the characters in code geass i just want to say Mm. the student council president can make me do whatever she wants is absolutely the title of a show (laughs) that could be made (laughs) absolutely (laughs) now but and on on that basis uh, hold on so lorraine what about you do you have any opinions on which way to go with this um i kind of like the idea of her not getting a gas just because you would basically get the perspective of like all this war and whatever happening just from the perspective of someone who kind of feels powerless in this situation they have no special powers to like deal with it so i guess we can probably do a bit of both Mm -hmm. um on the sidelines of great events side uh millie for being the silly and marginally flighty person that she is is actually very observant and smart that we see her at a couple important points in the series and at the later points in the series she sort of even if she doesn't know everything that's going on she detects that something's not right with the with the the people in the student council that she knows that Lelouch, even if she doesn't know that he is a revolutionary, she knows that he is going through more than he lets on. He, she sees the emotional struggle that Shirley goes through. She's uh, someone who tries to comfort Suzaku and that she has these different touch points with a lot of the main characters in a way that, frankly, most of the other characters in the series do not, uh, because she sees them at their most genuine, or at their uh, most unguarded, perhaps. And It doesn't end up amounting to anything, unfortunately, which is... It, it does not. ...part of the tragedy of the show, but... Yes, but that narratively, that provides a very interesting opportunity to sort of see uh, these signs, and then for her to, over time, begin to realize, oh gosh, these global events all originate with unsettling proximity to me and one being on the sidelines of great events but then also the fact that she has to start to grapple with there are some people that are behind some very terrible things that i thought were my friends yeah i would would have loved to see that in the actual show honestly instead of her just becoming a completely useless news reporter in the second season but at the same time, the fact that she becomes a news reporter feels very uh, natural that on the sidelines of great events, so 
what a more natural place for her to end up than reporting these great events for others in the future that uh, she's like okay i have to yeah, go through it, all these it's, things it's, it's certainly with in, in character information but... and just when i was going through these things i was always clinging to news reports because i needed to know what was going on so now i want to be the person who can help inform those who are scared and trying to figure out what is going on in this crazy world around us it's totally in character. She just can't affect anything, which is sort of sort of the problem that we're going to run into here. That's what a reporter does. A, a reporter reports that they aren't uh, the active when, when you get, driving when you get, force when you get in reporter, their stories. When you get reporter characters in fiction, though, they're always like able to affect something. <laughs> well, now yeah. we get to do one that's a bit more representative, perhaps. <laughs> All right, so I, th I do think we need we need another character here, either as a confidant for her, someone she can actually bounce all this off of, or like as some kind of um, authority. Well, actually, authority we are running a bit over. We're about at time because uh, we did start a bit late, um, but also we do have the uh, the happy hour, which is supposed to start in about fifteen minutes. So we should probably start wrapping things up, unfortunately. But suffice it to say. These are questions and thought experiments that you can go through with any number of things and that we've, in some cases, like, examined the idea of going with a different narrative approach for a canonical character and not changing the plot and just examining it through other eyes. And then there's the fanfic approach of saying, all right, what if, dot, 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 and changing many things around it. And uh, both have their merits, both have their fun analysis and academic purposes and i think it's stuff like this that really makes anime fanfic in general so popular because these series that we all love have many many characters and they have these complex storylines and there's never enough to see everything on screen so there is the question of what is going on with these people when we aren't seeing them and what are their untold stories and of course what if dot 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 question mark i'm 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 just saying i would absolutely read slash watch uh ishizu and mokuba's excellent adventure oh yeah <laughs> oh my god good I, title I, very I, good title i think this definitely merits a part two or more down the line well, honestly <laughs> you could probably just make an entire freaking podcast like of what ifs and just you know every week it's a different series and you're rolling and you're going even deeper than we went today because we did four series each for somewhere around 10 to 15 minutes and if we wanted to i'm sure we could have gotten more out of each of these i had to kind of nudge us along and be like okay we should move to the next one but uh this seems like a concept that we could revisit as a sort of a filler episode every couple of months of all right is there nothing that really comes to mind that uh, we want to talk about this week let's do a what if episode So uh, thank you very much, Hayes. Hayes, you were the one that initially brought this idea up. You were the one that wrote this little randomizer script. So uh, like I said, I might end up leaning on you at some point in the future uh, either to be on the show for this uh, to facilitate or even if you're not around, I might be stealing this idea in the future because I think that Mario, Frangi, and Emmy would potentially find these very interesting concepts to tinker around with. Uh, Lorraine, Neo, Ivan... I know you two were a bit sidelined 
in this one because you were not super familiar with all of the content that we were discussing, but I'm still glad that you were able to join us anyways. Hopefully, if nothing else, this was entertaining for you, and I hope it was entertaining for the audience as well. Before we go, do any of you have anything that you want to shout out or plug? Uh, if you Lorraine, are looking you for... Uh, oh, okay. Oh. Uh, this is me first? Sorry. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, just thanks for having me here. Uh, if you want to see more of my art, you can see it on Twitter, just L-A-R-E-I-N, uh, Lorraine on Twitter. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, I'm very interested in the story of the Jennies now. <laughs> <laughs> New Ivan. Um, well, uh, in 20 minutes, I'll be starting a happy hour here on this channel, so don't go anyway. Uh, don't go away. Um, sorry, my cat. So we're yeah. starting this 10 minutes late then? Yes, uh, because I okay. could use some food. But I am very interested in, despite not knowing anything, well, a good bit of this, uh, but all these stories sounded interesting. And we didn't even get into the the potential of what if Goku was a real good father, which is too much, too much <laughs> for the anime community to handle. As I've said many times today, my, my uh, sort of motto today is, but that's an entirely separate podcast of its own. Absolutely. But yeah, thanks. Thank you again for having me on. Always a pleasure. Hayes, what about you? Uh, I have nothing to shout out or plug, but I will say that if you are looking for a podcast similar to uh, the like idea of like, hey, let's just figure out how this story goes based on something, uh, you will have a good time looking up the Maximum Fun Podcast uh, Story Break, hosted by uh, Freddie Wong, Matt Arnold, and Will Campos. Those guys do good work. Cool. And as for us. As Neo, I've mentioned, we'll be back in about 20 minutes with Happy Hour, Murder Time, Murder Time, Fun, Fun, Fun. Uh, I will be back next Thursday with RJ. We'll be continuing along with uh, Great Ace Attorney. And as always, I am here every Friday for DKI Podcast at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. You can uh, tune in to Digital Air Entertainment on Twitch six plus days a week for wonderful nerdy content. Be sure to, sub uh, to follow us here on Twitch. Follow on Twitter, subscribe on YouTube, and on our YouTube you can also find the trailer for our recently announced visual novel game that is being headed up by RJ, Kokoro no Pro. It is a wrestling dating simulator, so a lot of things to look forward to there. In addition, as I mentioned earlier, I need to wrap up work on the script for our radio drama presentation of The Addams Family. That is going to be next Saturday, September 25th at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Definitely be sure to tune in for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Apart from that, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Image Anime. You can visit them at imageanime.com or their pop-up shop at the Waypoint Cafe at 65 Ludlow Street in, uh, is it Lower Manhattan? You know, Ivan? Uh, I forget it always. Uh, yes, Lower Manhattan. It is. it is Lower Manhattan. All right, cool. Um, and you can use the code discount 20 that is d-e-e-s-c-o-u-n-t-2-0 for 20 percent off all in-stock items between now and the end of the year i believe that is everything so this has been episode number 74 of dkai thank you so much for tuning in stay safe stay sane get your fauci ouchie wear a mask if you're going outside and we will see you next time on digital era twitch mm -hmm.